Well, we're in this wonderful series through First Peter called Sojourn. I'm spending the next two weeks on the same passage we were in last week. It's First Peter 3, 1 through 7. If you weren't here last week, I, I said very clearly that I'm going to cover things in three sermons because there's so much here that is important. And last week, I spent most of the time focusing on external adornment, uh, beauty versus that which is a hidden and imperishable beauty. If you weren't here, I would encourage you, if you want to know more about that, to, to listen to that sermon. You can go online to do so. And this morning, I'm going to really talk about one word in this passage. And um, then next week, get into the specifics of roles that the Lord has called husbands and wives to. Now, I know when we come to a text like this, that can be painful. There might be people in our congregation who long to be married but aren't, never have been married. Some who have been married but they're, they're divorced and that pain is great. Or even now you're dismissing your spouse because the Lord has called them home. And so we come to a text like this and you might immediately say, well, this really isn't for me because I'm no longer a husband or a wife or I haven't yet become a husband wife. I'm not sure if I will. Well, this is God's word. We preach all of God's word. And it's for all of God's people, because what we see in it goes much deeper than the individual roles that he has called us to, in many cases, secondary identities. This goes to the core of who we are as a people. So I want us to listen. And no matter where you are in life, whether your marriage right now is thriving or you know it's in real trouble, God's word is powerful and the presence of the Holy Spirit is very real. and He can do works beyond what we can even imagine. So let's seek his face and let's come to this text eager to know him better. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we come to uh, this time of the preached word, it's been spoken, it's been heard now, Lord, I pray that you would use me, your vessel, to proclaim the truth and that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the communicants that have joined today, the new members of our church. We're so grateful for their lives and as they listen to this sermon, which might seem so foreign to where they are, let them see that there's deep truth even for them. And Lord, we're grateful for them joining our church this day because we see the, the promise being fulfilled of your faithfulness to each generation. Even as one member joins today and is the third generation of his family being in this church, we rejoice, Lord. And God, as we prepare to come to the table, we ask that you would remind us ultimately of who you are and who we are in you, that we might feast 
at this beautiful setting meant to give us encouragement in our life in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite uh, places to stand is actually right here. The pulpit is removed. And by the way, the pulpit stands for the word of God. That's why we have it and preach from it. Doesn't mean we can't walk out from it. Doesn't mean I'm not behind the word of God or in the word of God now. But for weddings, it's removed. It would be a barrier towards the bride and groom moving forward. And so there's a step here. And I stand on that step. And the, the groom is right here. And he's waiting. His future mother-in-law is right here. His future father-in-law is back there. The doors are closed. And he's nervous. And it's understandable. But there are two types of grooms. There is a groom who's overwhelmed by everything. The crowd, what he's about to commit to. Life that's coming. Making sure everything's right. And then there is another way in which a groom is overwhelmed. And that is when the doors open and he sees the beauty of his bride. And suddenly, thoughts move away from everyone else looking at him. Thoughts move away from all that he's got to remember to say, which is only a couple words. (laughs) (laughs) And he has these thoughts. I can't believe she loves me. I can't believe that woman is about to become my wife. And as she comes forward, he stands. And almost every time I've given him the instruction that as soon as they reach the edge of this carpet, step out next to your future father-in-law, and they just wait. (laughs) They just can't do it. And sometimes I give them a little nudge, (laughs) and they find their way there. But you can tell, and it doesn't mean a a groom is less impressed or less in love. You can tell when the moment has suddenly gone from everybody watching to this is my bride. And it's quite beautiful. There are a few weddings that I've been a part of that are memorable. And I've done a lot and I love doing them. They're usually memorable because something has happened that make them memorable. And while every bride says they want a memorable wedding, they don't necessarily want certain memories to be a part of their wedding. I didn't ask their permission, but Brent and Allison Baker had a memorable wedding. Hi, you can look at them, they're right up there, wave. (laughs) Brent is our pastor to youth and families, and Allison is one of the most gifted wedding coordinators I've ever been around. Well, they got married, and it wasn't in this church, it was in her home church in Austin. I had the privilege of being a part of it, but something went wrong. And what went wrong is Allison didn't show up. She was in the building. Everybody had come in except for the flower girl and Allison. And it became obvious that something is wrong. I was not the lead minister. Their minister was. And I was just waiting for him to do something, but he was doing nothing. And I was getting anxious. And Brent was getting anxious. He looked at me, I looked at him. We exchanged fear, I think. (laughs) And then suddenly the flower girl as she entered in said these words to Brent. She's coming. (laughs) I'll never forget it. There was an issue with the veil, I believe. 
it happens. Something happens in every wedding. Another memorable wedding for me was one of my first, I think my third. It was also in a different church, long before I came to this church. And I loved the friendship that I formed with this minister. But just before the service started, he pulled me aside and he said, now listen, I don't want you to say one thing about the roles of women in marriage according to what the Bible says. You are not to mention 1 Peter, you're not to mention Ephesians, you're not to mention Genesis, and if you do, I will shut you down. That sounded like a test <laughs> to a young pastor. And I thank the Lord that I didn't create a memory that would have been really awkward for everyone, but it really concerned me. What had happened? When had the Word of God suddenly become so offensive in light of what it says? We might look at that and say, that's what's happened in our culture. And people will stand up and say, we don't appreciate those words even being in the canon. And they're vocal about that, as he was to me. But I'll be honest, there, there's a quiet distance from texts like that, often even in our circles. I'll give you an example. Out of the last 30 weddings I've done, I would say no bride or groom has selected any of those passages which would speak specifically to that role. And I'm wading into it this morning, spending three weeks on it. And I have friends who've said, ooh, when you're done preaching, are you gonna run to your car? <laughs> of course not. It's the word of God. But if you hear it with a set of ears, and you hear that women are to be subject to men, their husbands, and that they're the weaker vessel, I can see how that would sound so offensive. I could see how people would say, I can't believe that. And this morning, while I'm not gonna get into the specifics of those roles, I'll do that next week, I wanna tell you that I think the reason why so many people have drifted or distanced themselves from it is because they don't really take the time to see the deeper beauty of God's design. And that's where I want to focus this morning. Because out of understanding that deep, deep design by God, we can be the people that he's called us to be in freedom. And that truly is the beauty of a sacred marriage. When we look at the text, our temptation is to quickly run to the roles and the rules that God puts before us. So you read the passage and immediately you hear this idea of sub, being subject and submission, the weaker vessel, and it can be so offensive. What I want to do this morning is lay the foundation for what is much deeper. And this is for all of us, not just those who are husbands and wives. So I want to talk about first God's design. Marriage is God's idea, not man's. God created marriage. He created the man and the woman in his image. He created marriage. And that which he created is meant to be beautiful. It is meant to be precious. It was created to be perfect. Even in the first covenant together, this man and this woman had a perfect relationship. Once 
They sinned. Their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. And shame and fear and guilt all entered in. And their relationship with one another and their relationship with God was broken. But even in those early chapters of Genesis, the Lord shows us His plan to redeem that which is broken. Even in God's first question, where are you? God knew where they were. He was signifying that He's coming. He's coming. Where are you? God's design for marriage is specific. But the problem we have as humankind is that we are rebels. Not just some of us. The Word of God says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. All of us. Just like Adam and Eve, the Word had been given. Satan's first temptation was a question. And the question centered on their understanding of the Word of God. He said, and it's the first question in the Bible, did God really say? He questioned the authority of God. We've been doing it since. When we rebel against the Word of God, we reject the designer's design. We reject His Word. If we aren't blatant in our rejection or we grow to at least receive some portion of the Word, we often distort it or distance ourselves from it. Even becoming in some ways uncomfortable with a passage like this. We don't need to be. This is God's Word. This is God's design. But one of the ways in which we distort it is that we focus on the wrong things first. It's all God's word, it's all important. But here you can rush towards this idea of the roles. What does it mean for a woman? What does it mean for a man? The regulations, and you can become extremely religious about it. And I don't mean that in a good way. What I want to encourage us to see this morning is that Peter is going somewhere deeper first. Where Peter is is going is towards the primary identity of an individual long before he speaks to a secondary identity. And the secondary identity that he is addressing here is the identity of wife and husband. The primary identity, though, he's been addressing all along. And it's from that primary identity that we would then have the freedom to be the people that he has called us to be. That's why verse 1, as he begins to address wives, says, likewise. He is pointing people back in the letter to what he said first about who we are in Christ. He called us sojourners. But he also called us the elect, his beloved Elect and beloved are primary identities. Sojourner is not. So he said in verse 1 to the women, likewise. And he said in verse 7 to the husbands, likewise. Calling us to look back to our primary identity. And here's why that is important. The primary identity that a woman has in Christ and the primary identity that a man has in Christ is the same. You are heirs. Co-heirs. That's what he says in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We are co-heirs as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
That is our primary identity. Here's why that matters. Brent and Allison's wedding, I didn't bring up just as a sweet, fun story. It was during their wedding that I realized how often I had done a poor job in the homily for people's weddings. During my preparation for the homily that I would bring, a 10 to 12 minute word, I was going to preach from Colossians. They had chosen this text, and this is what the text says. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And the list goes on. I had a wonderful message centered on the rules, the roles, this wonderful list of attributes specific to behavior that would be of any godly marriage. Great stuff. But if you were listening carefully, I left something out when I read that passage just now. And it's what I often left out, not intentionally, but I missed. My eyes so quickly went to behavior towards the outcome of an exterior life that I missed what Paul says. So let me read it again, reading every word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then goes the list. Compassionate hearts, patience, forgiveness. My friends, this is a really big deal. And in that message, Brent looked at me, and I'll never forget his look. After the wedding, we talked a few weeks later, and he said, I'd never seen that. I said, me neither. We rush so quickly to the outcome that we so often forget to dive into the beauty of identity, of who we are. And here's why that matters. When the bride and groom make their way up these steps, and I'm standing just in front of the organ, I look at the bride and groom, and what I want them to know is they begin to make their vows, is I want them to know that God is the one who has designed marriage, and his plan is worth following. I want them to know who God is, and I want them to know his design. The second thing I want them to know, and I do this in every wedding now, is that they are about to marry a woman who is the beloved daughter of the living God. And I want the bride to know that she is about to marry a man who is the beloved son of the living God. Now think about that. That is their primary identity from that moment until all eternity. The other identities won't follow, but that one will forever. And the reason that is a big deal is that they're marrying somebody that Jesus Christ calls his bride, members of the church. They're marrying someone where the word of God tells us this mystical union exists between God and his people. They're marrying someone that Jesus Christ laid down his life for 
that they might live forever. That identity is essential because from that identity, knowing who we are in Christ, we then have the freedom to embrace God's design for marriage. We have the freedom to say, I understand more clearly the role I have as a husband and the role you have as a wife. We understand that we can live out God's design in the freedom of who He's called us to be in Him. Do you know why? Because the primary union is each person with Jesus. Even though the husband and wife come to be united as one. What an image. Now here's why that matters. Our temptation is to focus so quickly on the roles and on behavior that we don't give the proper appreciation and understanding for the depth of who we are in Christ and who they are. There's a wonderful book, one of my favorites on marriage, but I think the title can be misleading and I bet many of you have read it and used it in small groups. And it's called, When Sinners Say I Do. Well, I wanna tell you something, Christian, Sinner is not your primary identity. Saint is. Not because you're so good or so special. And not because you won't sin, even against the, the husband and the wife. But your primary identity is saint because you've trusted in Jesus. And I think it's important when a man and woman who are in Christ stand up to know that it's not the, the primary identity of sinner by which you speak, but it's this, the primary identity of saint that you come together. Will you sin against each other? Absolutely. But I want to tell you, most of the time, the wedding homilies we hear tell some funny story speak about how hard marriage is, tell you what to do, and like I did for so many years, leave out the most important part, that you're marrying a woman who is the beloved daughter of the living God, and you're marrying a man who is the beloved son of the living God. And from that foundation, from that primary identity, you have the freedom because you are one with Christ to have a marriage that reflects the imperishable marriage of our union with Jesus. So why does that matter? For all who are in Christ, you're in Him. He's in you. You're not just connected. You are His and you will be for all eternity. And what the Word of God tells us is that this side of heaven, we're waiting, but He's coming. He's coming. And one day when He comes, every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know Him? If you know Christ and are united with Christ, 
May the words today just remind you, dear sister, of who you are, of the imperishable beauty that you possess in him. And dear brother, may you know that you're his beloved and the imperishable beauty that exists in your relationship. But if you don't know him, today, if you are honest with yourself and you could say, I, I don't think I'm a Christian, I don't believe I've trusted those things, I want you to hear the question that God asked in the very beginning. Where are you? Not because he can't find you, but because it's very possible that he's brought you here this day to indicate to you that you're going to be part of his bride. He's coming for you. Do you want him? The way the Lord works is he demonstrates his grace to us. And when we begin to see it, it becomes irresistible. And here's why. The next wedding I'm going to do will be Holy Week. It'll actually be the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter. It won't be in the sanctuary. It's in another location. And I'm already beginning to prepare the message that they've asked me to preach. It's not one of the texts that speaks about the roles of men and women, but it is, a, it is a passage that speaks about the love of God. Listen to the text. Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ, listen to the union, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's his love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. No husband and wife I've ever married and no husband and wife that has ever been married has ever loved their spouse perfectly. And often it's much, much different, isn't it? The love that I just read of from Ephesians is a perfect love. Paul literally in the Greek used measurements that meant so far, so wide, so long and so high. And that is the love that Christ has for you. It's a perfect love. He is the bridegroom and he's coming for his bride. Are you his? If you are not his, I want you to know how happy I am that you're here. But as we come to this table, the word of God tells us, anyone who doesn't believe is not to come, lest they eat and drink judgment on themselves. So I'd urge you to just witness what happens. Think about what you're hearing and what you've heard. If you would like to pray with me or one of the other elders, and there's women in our church that will be praying too, we'll be in these corners and along the sides. Simply come and pray with us. If you know Christ, then this table is for you. 
And it is a table that reflects the union that we have with Jesus. It is a table that reflects that love so wide, so deep, so long, and so high. So as you come to the table this day, remember, you come not as a sinner primarily, but as a saint. Not because of your good deeds, but because of his grace. So as you come to your groom's table, may you think this way. Isn't it amazing that he loves me this much? Let's prepare to come to the table. Would you please stand?